0: Welcome to Gag Me with the Chainsaw, a horror podcast about 80s slashers. I'm Corey. And I'm Sarah. And guess what? What? We love scary movies. Wah wah wah. Wah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Sarah? Um, I'm alright. I'm crabby today.
0: Yeah? Yeah, my back hurts. I can relate to that. Are you are you crabby today, too? Uh, I'm okay. I'm getting over a cold, my first cold in over two years, so I had a good run with no colds. You sure did. <laughs> All time. hmm
1: No yeah. ronies.
0: No, I had two tests, both negative. Did you say ronies or yeah. Ronas? Ronies. <laughs> Why oh. do you you I thought... You might... <laughs> I thought... You're talking about Corona. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Oh, not Tenderonies?
1: No. <laughs> Did you test positive for Tenderonis?
0: Yeah. I always uh, test positive <laughs> for Tenderonies.
1: <laughs> I always test positive for Beefaroni.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's cute.
0: But we're making it through. We got a good movie to talk about, I think. Yeah. I I think so, too.
1: So much so that we said, should we move recording today? And then we said, no.
0: We'll power I know. Through. I know. I was excited to talk about this movie. I was like, man, this was a real movie. It was <laughs> a real watched. movie. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Right? Didn't you feel like that? Like, yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Number one thing about this movie <laughs> It's a real movie, first and foremost.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's nice when that happens. Hell yeah. Honestly, it
1: doesn't happen often. (laughs) (laughs) It does make it harder to, like, goof on it, but Mm -hmm. that's okay. It's nice to, like, it's nice to watch a real movie sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this real movie is called Alone in the Dark, and it's from 1982. The tagline is turn off the lights and watch if you dare. Mm-hmm. I dared. Mm-hmm. You picked this one. I did pick this one. Um, this cast stacked. Mm-hmm. And we remember this cover from the video store too.
0: Yes. And I really like the poster, but the poster does not give the vibe of the movie, I feel. I, no. I was expecting something more outdoors. Yeah, I would say. not not uh, maybe not camp, but something outdoors.
1: Yeah, because there's an axe featured prominently mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, some work boots mm-hmm. almost. It does seem very rugged. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah.
0: Not not a logger. Mm-mm. But it's a good poster and it's a good movie, even though they don't really match up.
1: It is a good poster. (laughs) I like it how the O in Alone in the Dark is a moon. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. I do remember seeing this one at the store and being like, oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a lot, like, a lot of talk about, like, this golden age of video cover art. But, like, it's really true. Even though so often it doesn't line up to what's actually going to happen in the movie, like, Another one, a poster or a video cover had Donald Pleasance, where it looks like he's one of the maniacs, but he's not. Uh-huh. He's the good, like uh, one of the good guys. But like they always are so misleading. Yeah. But that's not the point, right? <laughs> the point is to like get you hyped.
0: Yeah, get you to rent it.
1: It's nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. <laughs> it gets the people going. Yeah. Yeah. It was directed by Jack Shoulder. His next movie that he directed was Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're getting to like the why. Starring Martin Landau as Preacher. This is my guy here. Mm hmm. Leonard in North by Northwest.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. So
1: menacing as the heavy to James Mason's villain. Mm-hmm. Also like really pretty sexy hmm. I think uh, Hitch specifically had him costumed in the only suit that was better than Cary Grant's and I think he looks gorgeous like it's fitted beautifully uh, so much so that when Cary saw him on set he demanded to know who he was and why
0: his suit looked so good <laughs> <laughs> he was
1: like wait a minute that yeah, was that's, bad
0: that's a great movie
1: hell yeah it's a great my movie my favorite me too I I saw it in a theater when they do those Fathom events or whatever where Mm -hmm. they show those movies it's so good in the movies
0: yeah I've seen it on the big screen as
1: well so different like if you ever get a chance to go and see these movies that you've only ever seen on TV like the way they were supposed to be seen on a giant screen you should you get so much more out of it Mm -hmm. like the overhead shots of the UN and everything are just gorgeous yeah I won't get into it too much, but Singing in the Rain in particular on the big screen, Immaculate. Mm. That doesn't have anything to do with Martin Landau. (laughs) Uh, He was also Rufio in Cleopatra, another one of my all-time faves. He did 76 episodes of Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. He was in the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island TV movie. He (laughs) (laughs) He was in Sliver. Uh-huh. He won a well-deserved Oscar playing Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood, another movie that I love. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. His performance is excellent. So good. Mm-hmm. He was in BAPS. Love BAPS.
0: Ooh, I haven't seen that in a long time. Oh, buddy,
1: <laughs> It is good. I watch it kind of a lot. It's on TV a lot. <laughs> and he was J. Har- Howard Marshall in the Anna Nicole TV movie. mm mm-hmm. I mean,
0: what a resume. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And we also have Jack Palance as Frank Hawks. And like these old guys have such interesting careers that kind of like chart Hollywood history. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, Palance's second acting job was as Marlon Brando's understudy on Broadway in Streetcar. Oh, wow. Second acting job. He and Brando both had an interest in boxing, so Marlon set up a heavy bag in the theater basement, and this led to Palance, like, kind of creating his own big break when a mistimed hard punch that he threw missed the bag and landed square on Brando's nose, sending him to the hospital, and Palance went on while Brando recovered, (laughs) and he got great reviews. Yeah. Yeah. And opened doors for his career, enabling him to go on to punch Burt Lancaster in the face. (laughs) (laughs) While filming a fight scene for The Professionals. Mm. This guy is a true menace. (laughs) Yeah. He played a lot of villains and bad guys. Bunch of spaghetti westerns. He fell asleep in his Hollywood Square during a taping in 1965. Oh, wow. (laughs) He was in Young Guns, The Michael Keaton Batman. And he famously went on to do one-armed push-ups on stage at the Oscars when he won an award for his role in City Slickers <laughs> after freaking Charles Bronson turned it down mm. because he didn't want to die on screen.
0: Yeah, you have definitely seen this guy in something. You're going to recognize his face. Definitely. his
1: <laughs> old He looks like when people make those uh, dehydrated apple faces for Halloween. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, that's what he looks like. A good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bronson, LOL, after reading the script for City Slickers, told Billy Crystal, fuck you, I'm dead, and hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> he refused to do it. He was like, I am unkillable. That's what people mm-hmm. know me as. Yep. And I think it would have been good still. Mm-hmm. We also have Donald Pleasance as Dr. Leo Bain. 241 credits from wow. 1952 to 96. Really wild. Uh, we know him best as Dr. Loomis from the Halloween franchise. Uh, yeah. he, he was in Escape to Witch Mountain. He played Satan. Very scary. Uh, and he was in The Great Escape with Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yep. Yeah. Donald Pleasant's was working hard, so those three guys were like the big draws for me mm-hmm. when I saw that they were all in this movie. I was like, Uh, hell yeah! So, and with the exception of Dwight Schultz, as Dr. Dan Potter, who eventually played Howling Mad Murdoch in the A team. Nobody else in the main cast was really in anything super notable,
0: yeah. So. This was uh, produced by, I think it's Bob Shea's first production for New Line Cinema. And yeah. it, of course, we'll go on to do Nightmare on Elm Street the next year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, a, a really like recognizable production company. Like mm-hmm. When it comes up, you're like, <laughs> okay, where are we going here? Yeah. <laughs> so we had not seen this, right?
0: Nope. You hadn't seen it either? Mm-mm. I was excited to watch it. Yeah. I was glad you picked this one. Uh, I saw who was in it and I was like, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This will be good.
0: Yeah. And
1: Return to Horror High was like not what we had hoped for exactly. I don't know. Your rating says otherwise. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. Okay. This was like (laughs) much more like, okay, yes. This is... I was not misinformed. Mm -hmm. But I guess... The misinformation for Return to Horror High came from me, myself, Mm -hmm. and the conclusions that I had drawn from the title and the video box cover. Mm -hmm. But uh, actually, not my fault, because as we have already talked about, purposely misleading.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So our movie opens on the snowy exterior of a diner at night. The glowing red neon sign reading Mom's lights the way for a lone figure making his way to the door. He enters the diner and makes small talk with the waitress and the other diner at the counter. She calls him Preacher, and although they're chatting, the vibes are definitely off. Yeah. He orders the usual, and when she puts his ticket up on the counter for the cook, we see that the kitchen is engulfed in flames, but nobody seems to be concerned. Nope. (laughs) Nope. The waitress brings back a plate with a whole gross-looking fish on it, and immediately after she puts it down in front of him, a huge toad hops onto the counter.
1: Mm, Health code violation.
0: (laughs) Preacher is in disbelief as the cook appears, wielding a cleaver and reciting an ominous Bible verse. Rain begins to fall inside the diner, and the other man at the counter and the waitress tell Preacher he has come to cleanse the world by blood. Suddenly, chains wrap around Preacher's legs, and he's hoisted upside down. The cook with the meat cleaver approaches, and just as he brings the blade down, Preacher sits up in bed screaming. It was all a dream. It was all a dream. Zoom in on Martin Landau's face, quick shot of a hospital corridor, and then boom, our title. Nothing special, just Mm -hmm. white, all caps. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Interesting opening scene. I wanted to know more about this diner because it was pretty cool looking.
1: We should look up the menu online.
0: <laughs> well, it no longer exists. Oh. But maybe we can find an old one. It it was the diner named Rosie's in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Um, and lots of commercials were also filmed here, including a whole series for bounty paper towels that you can see on YouTube.
1: That's interesting because it <laughs> looks like a set.
0: yeah. And it looks very different in the commercials because it's like during the day, and it uh-huh. doesn't look red like they make it look yeah. very red.
1: Yeah, I guess it is really like shot and like when you know it's a dream, you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I can tell. But it does look it looks really didn't look real. Mm-hmm.
0: So psychiatrist Dan Potter has been appointed to the staff of Doctor Leo Bain's experimental psychiatric hospital, known as the Haven, in New Jersey. New Joysy. New Joysy. His predecessor, Dr. Merton, has left to take a new position in Philadelphia. So Dan, his wife, Nell, and their daughter, Lila, aka sarcastic Cindy Brady, <laughs> move into the rural home in the area. His wife asks why he can't get a nice office somewhere and treat neurotics. He says, Guess I just like psychopaths. Well, buddy, I've got good news for you. <laughs> <laughs> At Haven, um, he has a little mix-up with a patient who is doing some therapeutic receptionist work, and this is uh, a cameo from Lynce, Shay, Bob Shay's sister, who you'll definitely recognize from Nightmare on Elm Street, Insidious, lots of other horror movies, and just movies in general. Yep, yeah,
1: she's in Kingpin. She's like the gross landlady in Kingpin. <laughs> yeah, because then there's something about Mary. She's like that tan lady, and something about Mary. She's Oh a yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also, therapeutic receptionist work (laughs) sounds like exploitation of free labor
0: to me. Right? Yeah. so Dan's there to meet his new boss, Dr. Bain, who we recognize as the cook with the cleaver um, from Preacher's Dream and also as Donald Pleasant. Yes. Uh, He gives Dan a tour of the hospital. He tells the new psychiatrist about how he uses lenient security methods, except with the third floor patients, because he has to, like, legally. (laughs) Um, He keeps them contained with an electric security door. No bars, all run by electricity. Dan wonders if the men aren't still dangerous, but Dr. Bain doesn't seem too concerned. They're voyagers on a voyage, you see, not deranged psychopaths. The dad is introduced to the Voyagers on the third floor. They are former POW Frank Hawks, pyromaniac evangelist Byron Preacher Sutcliffe, child molester Ronald Elster, and shy serial killer John the Bleeder Skag, who gets a nosebleed when he kills and refuses to show his face. Uh, the meeting doesn't go well. No. <laughs> Angered by Dr. Merton's departure, the third floor patients irrationally blame Dan, believing he has murdered Merton and intends to kill them next. It comes out of
1: nowhere. (laughs) Like, with no reason. Yeah. Nothing.
0: Just a theory. (laughs) Just a theory, yeah. (laughs) Preacher and Frank are really into the idea of killing Dr. Uh. Dan. What's his what's his last name? Dr. Potter. Potter yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Frank says they won't kill the new psychiatrist next time he comes in. They'll get him on the outside when the time is right.
1: Yeah. The other guy seems like he's just going along with the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great example of that old saying. You only get one chance to make a first impression. He should have said Hello. I'm here to replace your old doctor. I did not kill him.
0: <laughs> yep. Dan blew it. <laughs> I want to know more about this Dr. Merritt their old doctor because they freaking loved him. I and know, huh? They're... And why didn't he say goodbye? That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> and somebody should have said that. Like, if he liked you so much, he would have said bye. <laughs> and then boom, bubble bursted. Yeah. So the next day at the hospital, Dan meets with Dr. Bain in his office. Dr. Bain asks if he can smoke. Dan says, if you need to. Dr. Bain replies, I don't need to. I want to. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I know. Like, was it necessary? (laughs) And then he pulls out this huge dad pipe that has like feathers and shit on it. And he gets absolutely zooted to the moon (laughs) while explaining how the psychopaths are voyagers of the mind. (laughs) This guy is the absolute worst kind of stoner. If Dan sticks around too long, ancient aliens are going to come up. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll just be the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Dr. Bain, will have him looking at a dollar bill, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like for secret messages.
0: Fold it this way.
1: (laughs) Fold it this way and you can make George Washington into a mushroom. (laughs) What do you think that means? (laughs) (laughs) So Dan and Dr. Bain meet with some of the other patients outside on the grounds of the hospital, but are interrupted when Preacher sets his shirt on fire and begins swinging it over his head. Dr. Bane whispers to Preacher that if he doesn't stop all of this nonsense, he's going to hoist him up and cut him in half. What? <laughs> <laughs> These methods are very unconventional.
0: Yeah, I guess he just got to speak plainly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this helps explain Preacher's creepy dream from the opening scene.
1: Definitely. <laughs> also, another clue about Dr. Merton, maybe? Because Bane hands a known arsonist some matches, but then he's mean about it when he uses them. Mm-hmm. Dr. Merton probably just gives you the matches with no additional commentary. <laughs>
0: just trust the processor. Yes, I know, <laughs>
1: I know. So while everyone else is distracted, creepy Ronald steals Dan's address from Dr. Bane's office. At home, Dan's younger sister Tony, who has recently suffered a nervous breakdown arrives to visit and
0: immediately asks to be pointed in the direction of some Rastafarians. (laughs) Yeah. She says she's really into music now, and you can tell by the little pink hairspray splotches in her hair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On her side ponytail.
1: Yeah. She has, like, just lines of Halloween spray paint. Yeah. (laughs) In her hair. She tells Nell, Dan's wife, she wanted to take her and Dan out to see this cool new band all the way from New York, The Sick Fucks. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Dan, Nell, and Tony go to a local rock club for the show. And, uh, yeah. This is some good old Party City punk rock. <laughs> they are my new favorite band singing my new favorite song, Chop Up Your Mother. <laughs> I'm serious. The song, fucking, it goes. It's a bop. Do you remember it? It goes, chop, chop, chop up your mother. Oh, yeah. Chop, chop, chop Chop up up your mother. mother. It's so good. (laughs) The sick fucks are worth every penny of the $18 cover charge. They have on crazy random costumes, and the backup singers are swinging giant cardboard axes. The crowd is rocking the fuck out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, everyone's having a good time, except for Dan. Who's plugging his ears, complaining, acting like a complete oh, dork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get this guy out of here. <laughs>
1: yeah, Tony should have just left him at home.
0: <laughs> Fun fact, Sick Fucks were a real band who regularly performed at clubs like CBGBs throughout the 80s.
1: Hell yeah. And the girls with the giant axes are Tish and Snooky, the founders of Manic Panic.
0: Mmm, nice.
1: Yeah. Jason was like reading about the band while we were watching the movie and he was like oh those two girls they go on to found Manic Panic and I go Tish and Snooki (laughs) and he goes how do you know those are their names and I was like uh because I was a teenager in the 90s and (laughs) Vampire Blood by Manic Panic was my number one want for my hair I've looked at that jar a thousand times.
0: It makes sense to me. They saw Tony's bad uh, party city streaks and they said, we got to do better than this. We got to
1: do better for the community. (laughs) Yeah. Tony barely gets time to start slam dancing before a regional power outage occurs and everyone leaves the club in an orderly fashion. (laughs) Anarchy in the UK, but let's not lose our heads. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Whoops. The power has also failed at the Haven psychiatric hospital. And the four men on the third floor escape their room, killing security guard Ray in the process by literally breaking his back over Ronald's knee. Yeah. It was wild. That his was body hard to was watch. just all crumpled up. Yeah. Yeah. The also, guy
0: who plays Ronald is like super tall and yeah. strong. And he like actually picks people up in this movie because he was just like a, yeah. a weightlifter.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's enormous. Um, we have our first kill a black guy typical yeah not not a great look not a great look no so the men kill another doctor uh that pulls up to the hospital to like check on what's going on they punch him ronald the big guy punches him so hard through his car window that they break his neck (laughs) (laughs) they steal his car and leave the hospital seems like having your entire security system be contingent on whether or not the check gets to the power company on time is a bad idea yeah what do i know i'm not a doctor i'm just (laughs) a regular everyday sick fuck super fan (laughs) meanwhile dan nell and tony make it home from their walk on the wild side bunky the babysitter at home with lila tells them everything in the house just went out then she says she hopes the blackout isn't over too quickly because it's kind of fun <laughs> mash cut to a local strip mall being looted <laughs> these people really don't know how to act they set a shoe store on fire and they're grabbing armfuls of cowboy boots because they have to <laughs> read books by flashlight <laughs> or because they think there's going to be a nuclear meltdown like what the fuck is a new refrigerator supposed to do for you in the event of a nuclear apocalypse i mean i guess you could climb into it and die yeah that would be a reasonable response, actually. <laughs> like, when I work so hard to stay alive in a quiet place? Hell mm-hmm. nah. I'd no. go out <laughs> blasting the sick fucks like a freaking maniac. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the escaped killers pull up, and they are stoked on the chaos. They were like, this suits us just fine. Yeah. Since everyone is already looting, they go ahead and arm themselves with weapons from a sporting goods store. Preacher, Ronald, and Frank take a crossbow, a baseball bat, and handguns, and the bleeder puts on a hockey mask. What? Yeah. And kills an innocent bystander with a hand rake to the throat. Blood pours out of his mask, and he runs away from the strip mall. The other three men leave without him.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. This came out just a couple months uh, after Friday the 13th. Part three, where the hockey mask is introduced. So it has to be a, another coincidence. It is a weird coincidence. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but th- this has come up, though, a couple of
0: times now. Yeah, wasn't it Night School that also came out before? Somebody, yeah. When someone had a hop- hockey mask in the room. Yeah. And- but this one is like, we get a good shot of him. That happens quite often, I feel It sure like. does. Yeah. <laughs> Something in the air. So the next morning, the escape patients run over a bicycle messenger with their van. And still is uniform. <laughs> we hear, I think it's Preacher, he's saying, yeah. like, I want that hat. So Yeah.
1: He, he needs like, it. that's what I want.
0: <laughs> so Preacher puts on this outfit. He arrives at the pottery residence pretending to be delivering a telegram. Uh, Dan is not home.
1: But Landau absolutely sells being a deranged weirdo in this scene
0: yeah like the hat is on his head kind of
1: (laughs) (laughs) his hair is all crazy underneath it and his the whole time that he's in this movie he is just eating the scenery Mm -hmm. like crazy laugh rolling eyes just giant grins and even if you were home you would say that's okay yeah why is a telegram coming anyways this is 1982
0: (laughs) so while lila is at school nail accompanies tony to a nuclear power protest where the women are arrested that afternoon lila arrives home from school and finds ronald in the house so no he's claiming to be the babysitter lila is not having it yeah he's trying to get her to like go upstairs she's like i don't want to Yeah. (laughs) Where's Bunky? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) After Nell phones Dan from jail explaining what has happened, Dan calls Bunky the babysitter, who goes to check on Lila. It's really tense the scene. You're like, no, please no. She finds Lila seemingly alone and asleep in her room. Bunky then calls Dan back and agrees to stay at the house until someone gets home. After hanging up, she invites her boyfriend Billy over. They're always named Billy. Always Billy. <laughs> Billy arrives to find the front door wide open in a trail of Bunky's clothes leading upstairs. Seems sexy or suspicious. He finds Bunky in her underwear on Dan and Nell's bed, and she is very much alive and okay. I was like, okay, I guess you're not scared that uh, Lila's going to wake up. No, nope, <laughs> she was out. <laughs> They get right down to business because he took too long to get there, and now they only have an hour. While they're filling each other up, Bunky hears a strange noise and wants Billy to check out the closet. He'll do anything to get in her weird, billowy diaper panties, so he agrees and finds <laughs> nothing. With those panties, her name should not have been Bunky, it should have been Bunchy.
1: <laughs> ah! <laughs> LOL,
0: LOL, LOL. <laughs> Oh, what a relief. There is nobody there. So he goes to join Bunky back on the bed, but suddenly an arm reaches out, grabs him by the ankles and straight drags him under the bed. He went down. Someone's strong. Yeah. Who could that be? (laughs) (laughs) Not who you would think. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bunky calls out for Billy and a huge knife stabs at her through the mattress. We just saw this in Evil Laugh. Yeah. Yeah. She's trapped on the bed while the knife pops through the mattress over and over, barely missing her finger crotch and her regular crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Bunky makes a desperate dive for the door, just as Preacher emerges from under the bed. I guess he's strong, too. Yep. She escapes out of the room, but is immediately caught by Ronald, who lifts her off the ground by her throat and strangles her.
1: Yikes. And They did this for real because Mm -hmm. he was just that strong, but... Why are we doing this thing all the time in these movies where we lift women off the ground by their heads and necks (laughs) for realsies? Like, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. So this dragged under the bed thing activates a very old fear I have inside of me. Like Uh,
0: that's funny because in the movie, I think it's Tony Mm -hmm. even talks to Lila about like, oh, yeah, aren't you scared? I used to be scared of the thing under the bed.
1: Yeah. And like I know that we're like, it's like an old trope that we all kind of say like oh if your legs are hanging over the bed like something will grab you or whatever. But when I was a kid, I was supposed to be taking a nap one afternoon while my dad was watching TV. But instead, I was hiding in a spot where I could see the TV, but my dad couldn't see me. Huh. And like this is the same way I saw the first Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> like we would always hide in this little spot. Um, and I watched a scene on TV where there was like a baby fussing in a crib. And so this nanny comes in to check, and while the nanny is standing and looking at the baby, arms shoot out from underneath the crib and grab her by the legs. And the nanny is, like, screaming and fighting, and I swear one of her legs gets ripped off while she's being pulled under the bed. Dang. I was terrified. I remember being absolutely frozen in fear. Like I had no choice but to stand there and watch the entire <laughs> thing. And it really stuck with me. I have no idea what he was watching. I always remember it being from Alien Nation. Do you remember that show?
0: Mm-mm. It
1: scared me. So like I probably was conflating it. Mm-hmm. Um, But I've searched and searched and have never been able to run down
0: what it was. If you know. Please. Let us know. Give us a message.
1: Because I would like to see it and then be like, nope, that was not what I remembered it be.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you can finally stick your leg off the side of the bed. Yeah,
1: even now. And I just realized this last night. I had a leg hanging off the side of the bed. Not even like a lot, just from ankle down. And I was like, and like i don't really think it's gonna happen but i imagine it in my mind like a creepy hand coming up over the side of the bed and grabbing me and then i'm like i better get all the way back on here
0: i like the idea that the monster under the bed is like as long as i can't see it i can't move no (laughs) she put her foot back on the bed god damn it i almost had her that time I do this to myself
1: sometimes. I used to live in this loft apartment by myself, and I would scare myself at night. And uh, let's see. I'm already well into my 20s. I would scare myself at night laying in my bed up in the loft and thinking, oh, my God, what if a monster came up the stairs right now? And I was just looking at the stairs, and then a monster came around the corner. What would I do? Where would I go? And I wasn't even picturing a robber. I was picturing a monster, Mm -hmm. like a drippy monster. And... (laughs) I, how would I escape, and how would I save the dog from a monster? And I would, like, legit scare myself. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had to stay on the bed, the monster wouldn't be able to get me.
0: Mm-hmm. Those Them's the rules. Them's the
1: rules. <laughs> I don't make them. I just abide by them. Mm-hmm. Later, Dan gets home, just as Nell, Tony, and Tom, a fellow protester that Nell met in jail, are arriving back at the house. They find the police at the home and Detective Barnett interviewing Lila about the missing Bunky and Billy. Lila explains that a man named Ronald babysat her. Dan recognizes him as one of the escaped Haven patients, and he is not making a big enough deal out of this. (laughs) He's unbothered and like, hey, Lila didn't get molested. No harm, no foul. He He was actually pretty nice to her. He doesn't seem like he'll be much help in case of emergency, so Tony invites her new jailhouse boyfriend, Tom, to stay for dinner.
0: that's weird.
1: I know. He wasn't like, whoa, 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 baby. He was like, what are we having? (laughs) Then Dan and Nell invite Detective Barnett to stay as well. Sure, why not? (laughs) A lot like there aren't more important things the police could be doing right now. No missing babysitters
0: or spontaneous riots. (laughs) Definitely no
1: dangerous criminals on the loose.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, hey, that's pretty smart. Like, way to get extra police protection. Just and like that's I'd- a
1: good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. During dinner, the group is having a conversation about windmills that includes some very intelligent, highbrow, literary jokes about Don Quixote. <laughs> uh, Lila laughs at this joke, too. Like, she is well-versed in the story. <laughs> She's, like, eight. Uh, this guy Dan. we do
0: know she's an avid reader from an earlier scene so
1: oh so don't put it past her you know what you're right (laughs) when i was in the third grade i did a book report on gone with the wind so (laughs) could be true dan is an asshole he is so pretentious he's like if fraser and niles had a worse brother
0: (laughs) that's (laughs) true
1: (laughs) how could you be a worse brother than fraser or niles (laughs) After hearing a noise outside, Detective Barnett leaves the table to check it out. While investigating the sound, Barnett is killed with a crossbow by Frank. He is lifted right off the ground. Mm -hmm. Like that crossbow shoots and he jumps at the same time or something. (laughs) After witnessing his death, the rest of the family decides they need to protect themselves. While barricading the house, they find the phone lines have been cut. Tony is starting to freak out, followed by Nell and Lila once they realize Detective Barnett's body is gone. Maybe they sh- should have just thought he was okay. <laughs> <laughs> he walked it off. Yeah. Lila says she needs a Valium. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think they should give it to her. <laughs> I was, I would didn't know about this part. I was like, would you want to take one?
1: Yeah. Or you would. would
0: you want your wits about you?
1: No, that helps you get your wits about okay. you. Okay. I would be gobbling Xanax at this moment. <laughs> Before the family can sort out who's taking what pills, they're bombarded by a hail of arrows through the windows. Tom and Dan scramble to reinforce the door with a china hutch while Nell bravely runs upstairs and rescues the Valium. <laughs> <laughs> this lady is who you want around in a survival situation. Her priorities are on point.
0: Yeah, you, I know you're thinking about getting rid of your hatch. Maybe you should keep it for a situation like this.
1: No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um it's very heavy, but it'll get it'll it'll get the job done. <laughs> or maybe not, because that ought to hold them for a while, says Dan, just as a blade pierces through the door <laughs> and their blockade. <laughs> I'd be like, no, my vintage dishes.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> After unsuccessfully attempting to reach Dan by phone. Dr. Bane stopped smoking his overly ornate pipe long enough to drive over to the house in his wood paneled classic car. A Woody. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he should have a surfboard strapped to the top. Yeah. All the beach boys in the backseat. <laughs> he goes to check if Dan isn't answering because he's mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> this is paranoia, my guy. This train is not for you. <laughs> Inside, the family is just deciding who is going to make a run for help when they hear Dr. Bain pull up. They scream at him from the windows to get back in his car and get the police, but twist, Dr. Bain did not stop smoking to drive over. (laughs) Of course not. Nope. In fact, he brought his embarrassing dad pipe with him and is going on and on, all super cringy about, like, just talking it out, man, and getting everybody back to their right spaces and time (laughs) paranoia. Notwithstanding, I want some of what he's holding (laughs) like good shit. His third eye is open and awake and seeing (laughs) levels in life and consciousness that none of us are. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bane stands on the front porch of the house and calls for the men to come out and speak with him. A grinning preacher emerges from the darkness And approaches Dr. Bane while the family panics. Bane asks Preacher how he's feeling and says he's glad this outside world didn't affect him. Preacher drops his smile, pulls out the giant knife, and slashes at Dr. Bane. Dan runs outside to help, but Preacher pulls an axe from his coat and turns towards him. So Dan races back inside with Preacher right behind him, and he barely makes it because a freaking shitty rag rug <laughs> does what they do and gets all wadded up under the door.
0: Yeah, that was a close one.
1: Uh, This is so relatable. <laughs> Anytime I've ever put one of those by a door, this is what ends up happening. I cannot imagine trying to do it in a life or death situation. <laughs> Preacher turns his attention back towards Dr. Bain, who is now hiding in his cool car. Bane tries to remind Preacher of the commandments against murder, but the Bible can be so contradictory. <laughs> the Preacher has an easy rebuttal, and he hacks Bane to death, so it is written, so it is done. I'm in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Dan sends the rest of the family, plus Tom, to another room. <laughs> and attempts to reason with the men, assuring them he has not killed Dr. Merton. He just went out of town, and he urges them to call and check for themselves. Jail just boy- call
1: Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. Just call Philadelphia, <laughs> ask to talk to him. They'll tell you he's there. Yep. <laughs> Jail boyfriend Tom asks Dad if he thinks the men will really call, just as Ronald throws Barnett's body through a window. So maybe not. <laughs> maybe not, yeah. The family erupts into chaos while Tom and Dan hurriedly tried to board up the broken window. Tony becomes more agitated and she starts wandering around. She goes into another room where she encounters a screaming corpse.
1: That came out of nowhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, Tom Savini was actually brought in for this effect and it looks great. Sure does. He reportedly uses, used soap and Rice Krispies. Mm. <laughs> Very inventive. Dan rushes in to help but there is no ghoul, and the windows are not open. Tony is starting to freak out because of the stressful situation. We did learn she had a breakdown earlier, so Mm -hmm. And she said that she's,
1: like, afraid of the dark. Mm -hmm. She's afraid of being alone in the Mm -hmm. dark, she says. Yeah.
0: While Dan tries to calm his sister, Preacher manages to infiltrate the basement, where he starts, you guessed it, starts a fire. (laughs) No. (laughs) Nell opens the closet to grab a fire extinguisher and finds the bodies of Bunky the babysitter and her boyfriend Beverly.
1: Boo They do
0: not have time to deal with this right now.
1: No, <laughs> they're like cramming back in there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Dad takes the fire extinguisher and instructs Tom not to open the basement door unless he comes back. Downstairs, Preacher is having a great time hiding in the flames with his knife. He lunges at Dan, but Dan box Preacher with the extinguisher canister before putting out the fire and escaping, locking the basement door behind him. After he comes back, the family makes a plan for Dan to make a break for the car and get everyone out. Ronald enters the kitchen and attempts to kill the family. But he's cut down by Lila. Yeah. Her fast reflexes and a large kitchen knife to the knees. I cheered at this part. I was like, yes, go Lila. So did I. her some quick, quick, go. quick thinking. Hell yeah, dude. She just popped right around that corner. <laughs> Tom lodges a cleaver between Ronald's shoulder blades. And then he finishes the job by pounding the cleaver with a baseball bat. Ouch.
1: This was gratuitous. Mm-hmm.
0: Dan races outside and retrieves Leo's car. While he does, Tony clings to Tom. As she tries to calm herself against his chest, blood begins to drip onto her face from above. A lot of blood. A lot. Tom's nose is bleeding profusely, revealing his identity as Skag, the bleeder, the fourth patient. Oh, Corey, <laughs> I was shocked. Yeah? Yes. I was too, just because I had kind of forgot about the bleeder, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> I did think like maybe this guy was from the the um facility as well from Haven. Uh-huh. I don't know why I totally forgot about the bleeder
1: <laughs> because they never show you his face, yeah, he's always like hunched down
0: behind everybody we don't we don't see him at all, and then he mm-hmm. runs away, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it went on for so long, I was like, okay, maybe he is a good guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he just killed one of the other guys. Yeah. So Skag plants a nasty, open mouth, bloody kiss on (laughs) Tony. then attempts to strangle her. Nell and Lila defend her together, and Nell stabs him to death. Hearing the screams, Dan runs back into the house. Moments later, Preacher bursts out of the basement. He and Dan wrestle. But ultimately, Dan stabs him. Frank with like a, a paring knife. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the
1: tiniest little knife.
0: Frank appears with this crossbow, proclaiming, So it's not just the crazy ones who f- kill.
1: Ah, uh, yes. A little, <laughs> we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> Give me an absolute break, dude. Extenuating circumstance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan pleads with Frank to spare his family. Suddenly, the electricity is restored. Hell yeah, they can play their sick fucks records again. <laughs> and Frank witnesses Dr. Burton being interviewed on a local news station about the missing patients. Dang, how convenient. Yeah. <laughs> he is not dead, just like everyone has been saying all along. Also, not in Philadelphia. No. Big liar. Mm-hmm. He's in town. hmm Maybe he, he caught the first plane back. hysterical frank smashes the television and flees into the night realizing he was wrong Yep. a short time later frank arrives at the local rock club where the sick fucks are back on stage playing another set
1: show must go on (laughs) the guy at the door only charges him six dollars but they charged dan eighteen dollars earlier dan was paying
0: the weenie tax uh, I think that's because there were three of them. Six times three is 18. Whoops.
1: Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Corey, I already told you I'm bad at math.
0: <laughs> well, good thing I'm average at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And actually, it was $0 because he kicks the door guy's ass, takes his money, and lets the rest of the line in for free fitty. Hell yeah. (laughs) Now he's the hero of this club. Yeah, everybody's like, woo! We love it! (laughs) A drunken woman approaches him inside, insisting she remembers him from the other night. He pulls out a pistol, pointing it to her chest. Assuming he has played a joke, the woman laughs, and so does Frank. Love
1: connection.
0: Yes, he's found his people.
1: Their first dance at their wedding is going to be chop up your mother. (laughs) And that's the end of our movie. The ending is weird. This little ending part is
0: weird. Yeah, I like like it though. I like it too, but why? Well, maybe I can shine a light on it. Uh, Director Jack Shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. He stated... I'm trying to make a statement about society. What's normal and what isn't? What if we break through the thin veneer of civilization? You have a bunch of people who are so-called crazy, and they're out into the world and they fit right in. And also, what saves the family is a moment of rationality on Hawk's part. He just says, sorry, I guess I was wrong.
1: But then he went and pointed a gun at this lady's chest? Yeah, but she liked it, I
0: guess. She did like it. (laughs) so yeah. that's where it leads to this
1: a bunch of people who are so called crazy and they're out in the world and they fit okay okay so okay so he's saying that these guys that are crazy mm-hmm. allegedly and on the loose fit right in to yeah. the society but they
0: don't <laughs> yeah that's why the whole time watching it, i was like is this offensive? I mean, it kind of is. It
1: kind of is. It's got a lot of, like, typical ableist, like, uh, so-called crazy people, like, kind of weird stuff at the asylum butterfly nets and shit.
0: Yeah, but then it has, like, all the parts where they're trying to say, you know, they're just kind of like the um, Donald Pleasant's character, that they're just normal people. But then, obviously, they're not because they're killing people later. yeah. Yeah. The
1: the guy that he that he based cuz Jack Shoulder like helped like he wrote this movie too with two other guys. Mm-hmm. The guy that they like based it that character on the Donald Pre- Pleasance character was another psychiatrist who kind of was like oh, psychotic's are just having a hard time dealing with the psychotic world. Mm-hmm. And like that's what they based his like um ethos on Mm -hmm. and
0: um i don't know i mean yeah the world is psychotic yeah we're all just a bunch of sick fucks when you think we're all just
1: a bunch of sick fucks it's true (laughs) and like he went out had that had that gun in the club and nobody freaked out he did fit right in Mm
0: -hmm. yeah the same with the looting scene they're like yeah that's true party they really
1: did fit in Mm -hmm. yeah um the director's original idea for the film was to have the story be about mental patients escaping during a blackout in new york city and the mafia being used to stop them the budget kept it from happening (laughs) and i think that's probably for the best yeah that sounds wild (laughs) it really does I wonder who they would have brought in, like, what famous aging stars Ooh. they would have brought in for mafia people, right? I don't
0: know. Yeah.
1: I mean, we're getting Paul Sorvino,
0: 100%. <laughs> yeah. If they do the remake, maybe they'll do that. Remake!
1: <laughs> well, that was that one. Mm-hmm. And
0: as established, it's a real movie. It's a real movie. I liked the music. Yeah. I liked the cinematography. Mm -hmm. It was tense, which, you know, I'm a fan of tense.
1: I am too. And there was the good, like, push and pull of, like, tension and, like, okay, we can relax now. Mm -hmm. Oh, no! Like, And there was also some scenes that were, I think, intentionally funny. I thought that the scene in the van where they were chasing the telegram guy on his bicycle was Mm -hmm. funny on purpose because it really, really was. It was shot kind of a little bit differently and... Yeah. The telegram guy was very sassy. Like, yeah, (laughs) it was pretty funny. And they all are just like screaming with laughter in the van the whole time that they're chasing this guy. So they get the joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the performances were really pretty good. Martin Landau, great. Jack Palance kind of just doing what he does, but I mean, people liked it and they Mm -hmm. wanted it and it works. Donald Pleasance maybe should consider not doing psychiatry <laughs> because his track record not
0: great. Yeah, That's I guess true. Michael
1: Myers was just a voyager too.
0: <laughs> That's what made him finally realize not everyone's a voyager. Some people are pure evil. <laughs> pure evil.
1: Evil dies tonight.
0: <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Wait, you don't want to talk don't, about our tagline no. from our favorite movie, Halloween Kills? <laughs> no. <laughs> this quote that he said about the family being saved by a moment of rationality, he just says, Sorry, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> uh, he never said sorry.
0: <laughs> he didn't say it. He felt it, maybe.
1: If anything, he made things worse when he destroyed their TV. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what are they going to do?
1: I mean, their family was completely unscathed and they lost a the television. <laughs> Nobody else in the family died. That's true.
0: Bunky. Bunky and Bunky. Billy.
1: Bunky and Billy. I loved Bunky.
0: What do you think Bunky is short for? Uh
1: bunk- Bunkifer? <laughs> yeah. Bunkifer, right? <laughs> That's a beautiful name. <laughs> My parents almost named me Bunkifer. <laughs> There was no Malton guide for this one. Um, Oh,
0: I thought for sure there would be. I did
1: too because it's a real movie. Mm -hmm. But our hard working producer sent me an alternative. Thanks, Jason. (laughs) Yeah, he's helpful. Except I feel like this is a troll on me because he's, sent it and said here's what the video hounds golden movie retriever had to say uh two out of four bones slash and dash (laughs) horror attempt (laughs) featuring four escaped patients from a mental hospital who decide that they must kill their doctor because they don't like him (laughs) conveniently a city-wide blackout provides the opportunity as the good doctor defends home and family against the aging stars intent on chewing up as much scenery as possible. What if it was just Martin Landau and Jack Palance as themselves? (laughs) 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 So yeah, two out of four bones, the rating scale, one Mm -hmm. dog's opinion, two bones, uh, maybe, Perfectly delightful for certain tastes, a waste of time for others, usually uninspired genre flicks. Hmm. First of all, I hate internet dog culture. (laughs) (laughs) And having to read a review where I'm giving two out of four bones is not something that I enjoy. Hmm. Yeah. Don't like that. Don't like the word bork
0: don't like the word doggo. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> so that was what some... Some, some... Some dog on the internet had to say. <laughs> Look, there's no rules that said a dog can't be on the internet. That a dog can't review movies.
0: That's true. They won't get arrested.
1: They won't get arrested. So... We
0: heard what the dogs have to say. What do you rate this one, Corey? I'm going to give this one more than two bones. I'm going to give this 7 out of 10 stars. Bones. (laughs) No. Uh,
1: I give this one... Man, every rating, I am just really forced to confront how my rating system is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I I don't... (laughs) Have a good grasp on this concept. I don't know what I'm doing. Corey, will you teach me?
0: (laughs) Uh, I think it's because I've rated thousands of movies on Internet Movie Database throughout my life. So now I'm like, oh, this is a strong 7 to me. This feels like a 7. And my problem is I use Letterboxd, so that's 5 stars and Mm -hmm. not 10. And you can't just double it for some reason. It doesn't... It doesn't... It's not the same. It's not the same.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well... Just keep in I, mind, you
0: gave Return to Horror High a seven.
1: I was just going to ask. <laughs> okay, well then I, I guess I have to give this one an eight, and okay. I think the biggest factor for that is that it is a real movie. Mm-hmm. I think that are the real movies definitely are going to have higher ratings. There was a beginning, a middle, and an end, and mm-hmm. except for the fact that we get no real explanation as to why they just suddenly decide that Doctor Merton is dead, and that. <laughs> This guy killed them other than they're just kooks and that's what they believe. Like it all like kinda pretty much makes sense. Like mm-hmm. scary home invasion's scary.
0: Yeah, I like home invasion. It's fun.
1: Corey, don't I mean, say
0: a- Corey. I like watching it on movies. don't say that no one break into my house please oh my gosh you have to
1: be careful about these sorts of things i won't even talk about serial killers in front of an open window (laughs) in case one is walking by and hears me say it and is like (laughs) (laughs) when we lived in la there was this guy setting fire like setting fires around our neighborhood in hollywood and his name was the carcinist because he was lighting carports on fire And I thought the Carsonist was a very funny name, but it literally was in our neighborhood. And like every night we would be like, oh, God, the Carsonist! he struck again. And I was like, so freaked out. And our open windows, I would discuss the Carsonist very quietly because I was afraid that he would be walking by and be like, did I hear my name? <laughs> oh, a fan, huh? Let yeah. me show you what I got. They caught him at the CVS around the corner from our house.
0: Oh, thank God!
1: He had a ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly what you would expect from the Carsonist. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, so that's what th- that's our ratings. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. I say watch this movie.
0: I do too. I recommend it.
1: Yeah. The like I said, performances great 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 definitely over the top really fun and you gotta see this scene with the sick fucks
0: yeah if nothing else look that up
1: instant fan instant (laughs) fan you'll you'll love it i wish they would tour with guar and it would just be costumes and giant fake axes that would be perfect chop up your mother (laughs) like the misfits sing songs about chopping up mothers but they don't make it as fun Mm mm-mm as the sick fucks do Mm -hmm.
0: true yeah so that was alone in the dark sarah what are we watching next get your pom-poms ready
1: (gasps) two four (laughs) six eight who do we decapitate (laughs) it's cheerleader camp from 1988 and we'll have a very special guest joining us yes so get ready for that it's gonna be
0: really fun I've got spirit. How about you?
1: I've got spirit. Yes, I do. <laughs> but I have a more important question. Uh huh. How funky is your chicken? How loose is
0: your goose? Oh, my goose is totally loose. <laughs> <laughs> so come on, all you hot fans, and leave us a review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. Where uh, Apple Podcasts? Yeah, Apple Podcasts is great. Leave us a rating on Spotify as well. Yeah. Any place that you can leave
1: us a rating, please leave us a good one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yelp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Rate us on Yelp. All right. Um, also, please donate to the Bakersfield Burrito Project on Cash App and Venmo Baco Burrito Project.
0: Please do. That's it. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for joining us on gag me with a chainsaw with your hosts, Corey and Sarah music by white bat audio. Find us on Twitter at chainsaw podcast and on Instagram at gag me with a chainsaw until next time. Unpleasant dreams.